Okay, so chapter two of the Megillah talks about what happens after the decision on the part of Ahasuerus and his council to get rid of wife Queen Vashti and to send out letters seeking, um, uh, well, first of all, send out letters to remind every man to be the ruler in his house and that women should give proper respect to their husbands. And they sent out all of those letters in all languages. So chapter two says that after that, when Ahasuerus and his anger calmed down, he remembered that which Vashti had done and that which he decreed against her. It is interesting that the Megillah never says explicitly that he killed her. That's the assumption, but it doesn't actually say that. Um, I think that there might be some different opinions about what actually happened to her, but the simple explanation is that he did, in fact, have her killed. So the people in Ahasuerus' palace, his servants, said to him, let's seek appropriate, beautiful women for you. And the king should appoint officers in all the countries of his kingdom, and they should gather virgin girls that are beautiful and kind of keep them there and give them their necessary accoutrements like perfumes and cosmetics, etc. And the youth, meaning the girl that is pleasing the eyes of the king, she should rule instead of Vashti. And that was good in the eyes of the king, and that's what he did. And then the Megillah digresses to the fact that there was a Jewish man, a Yehudi man, whose name was Mordechai, mentions his lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin, that Mordechai had been exiled from Jerusalem with the general exile that happened at the time of the king of Yehuda, that the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar caused all the Jews to go into exile. And one of the reasons that that's you know, interesting is because one of the interpretations of the name Ahasuerosh is that he was a brother to Nebuchadnezzar. Even though Ahasuerosh was not a brother of Nebuchadnezzar, Ahasuerosh was um, married to Vashti, who was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. But the Midrash explains that ideologically they were similar. And one of the ways that they were similar, uh, according to this Midrash at least, that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and the Holy Temple. And Ahasuerus was also a fan of that. And the predecessor of Ahasuerus was a King Cyrus I. He had given permission for the Jews to rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. And Ahasuerus ultimately rescinded that permission. He stopped the rebuilding of the temple. So in that sense, he was a brother of Nebuchadnezzar. So here the Megillah is telling us that this Mordechai had been of the exilees of Nebuchadnezzar at the time of the destruction of the temple. And that this man Mordechai was a kind of an adopted parent of Hadassah, who is Esther, who is his cousin, because this, either his niece or his cousin, did not have um, a parents of her own, and she was a beautiful girl. And when her parents died, Mordechai took her like his own daughter. Uh, some interpret that he took her actually as his wife. That's another subtext of the storyline of the book of Esther. We'll get probably to that a little bit later. So anyways, when it became known that this whole decree was happening, swept up in this decree was Esther. And she was taken to the house of the king and put into the charge of this man called Haggai, who was guarding the women 
for this uh, kind of uh, contest to see who would become queen. Um, she was very pleasing in his eyes, talking about the uh, hey guy. She was pleasing to this man that was in charge and he gave her and all of her um, helpers or like maids, so to speak, all the help that she need, needed. And in this whole process, Esther never spoke of her lineage. Esther didn't reveal her identity um, because Mordechai had commanded her not to speak of it. And the truth is that Esther herself was of a royal lineage because she was descended from King Shaul, who was the first king of the Jewish people before King David. Uh, king Shaul from, was from the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, that's where King Queen Esther, as we know her, uh, came from Shaul. And that obviously was a significant pedigree, right? If you just keep the history in mind, you know, Shaul and the Jewish people, etc., they were, you know, very prominent. And eventually over the course of the building of the, of the temple and all of the subsequent monarchies that came from the Jewish people were world famous, as we've discussed in the past. And so the Ruchadnets are taking down, um, you know, Ahasuerosh and, you know, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar taking down the Holy Temple and the Jewish kingdom was a very big deal. And Ahasuerosh looking for a wife would consider it to be something, you know, of a, of a coup that to marry a woman that was, you know, descended from the original monarch of the Jewish people. That's kind of the backstory to this, this whole thing. So anyways, when Esther's turn came, um, she, she uh, was presented to Ahasuerosh and the king loved her from all the women and she found favor in his eyes and he actually put the crown of the queenship on her head and he made a big party uh, for all of his officers and servants. He also um, gave a nice tax break to everyone, something that all of us would appreciate nowadays as being significant, right? If we could, if the somehow the president would say, hey, you know, I'm really happy. Let's give everybody a tax break. You could imagine that the ripple effect and the affection that would be caused both for the king and for his new bride. And then uh, after that point, there was another gathering of women, of virgin women. And once again, Esther would not reveal her identity. And in those days, Mordechai was sitting in the palace of the king. And that's when we have a sidebar story, which becomes an important cog in the puzzle of Mordechai and Haman and Ahasuerosh. There were these two officers of the king that were conspiring to kill the king. Their names were Big Son and Seresh. And Mordechai overheard that. According to the Talmud, Mordechai was able to speak all languages because members of the Sanhedrin, of the, of the high court of the Jewish people, were required to speak all 70 languages so that they could hear testimony from all witnesses without an interpreter. We learned that in the, uh, in the handbook of Jewish thoughts, right? And so Mordechai was able to understand what they thought was a foreign language. I don't know if it was, was Swahili or something else. In any event, they, he, Mordechai was able to understand it and he then, uh, gave that information to Esther, and Esther told that information to uh, the king in the name of Mordechai. That means that she made sure to give Mordechai credit. And then the matter was discovered, and it was found to be true. The Gemara says that they uh, tested the food 
that Big Sun and Sarish had been preparing for the king and it was found to be poisonous. Uh, I think they used a dog and the dog died. And this matter was then written in the, the book of Chronicles for the king that Mordechai had given the important information which ultimately led to saving the life of the king. And that's the end of chapter two. And one of the very interesting things that the Talmud says, and, and I try to be careful about it, and I think it's a really good practice for everyone to adapt, is to say something over in the name of the person that said it. And this, the Talmud says, learning it from here, the fact that Esther gave credit to Mordechai um, in a way that gave you know, tremendous uh, recognition for this important information, the Talmud says, whoever says something over in the name of the person that says it brings redemption to the world. Because over here, what happened is that Esther gave this information to you know, the advisors or to the king, whoever it was. And because of this, as the story unfolds, and we see later when Ahasuerus is nervous about his own position and he's trying to look for who might be out to get him. And he's looking for, hey, whoever did me a favor, who do I like? How can I look back and hope to find out if there is a plot against me? I better go see if I was good to the people that helped me get here, right? So to speak, the, the people who put me in power, the people who kept me in power, and they read the book of Chronicles, and it's discovered that Mordechai is the one that saved the life of the king by revealing the plot of Nixon and Seresh. That's when Ahasuerus decides to give Mordechai all of this honor, and that completely befuddles and uh, shakes Haman to his core, and that's the beginning of Haman's downfall, when Haman is waiting to tell the king, listen, let's kill Mordechai, and instead the king says to him, oh, go do all this wonderful, tremendous honor for Mordechai, ride him on the horse, and put the, you know, the special horse of the king, and dress him in royal garb, all of that really throws off Haman off of his game, and he really um, ends up falling from that. So because Esther said it in the name of Mordechai, it brought redemption to the Jewish people, i.e. to the world. And so therefore, anybody who has the opportunity should really say over the uh, idea or the information that somebody else gives them in the name of the person that says it. That's uh, teaching the Talmud. Okay, so that's basically the chapter two in uh, a summary version. There are definitely you know, interesting questions that can be asked on it. But um, I think for our purposes, that's good. Does anybody have any questions or comments right now? <clears throat> does it, where does it come up that, um, that Mordecai took Esther as a wife? Is that in later chapters? Is that a commentary on later chapters or is that a reading of this chapter? It's a reading of this chapter because the Megillah says here, the, and this is, a, let me give you the, the verse, it's chapter two, sentence seven, that he um, adopted or cared for uh, Hadassah because she didn't have any parents. And when her father and mother died, he took her, Mordechai took her to him as a bas. That's the word, levas. So first of all, taking most often in scripture is marrying. Very, I shouldn't say most often, very, very often between a man and a woman, it's marrying. That's, for example, it says in last week's parasha, when Yitzchak took Rivka to himself, it was as a wife. A marriage is described in most legal uh, 
descriptions in the Torah as a taking of the man mm-hmm. of the woman. It's that word. And then the word bas is also kind of darshaned, right? So that means it's learned out. It's explicated to mean bias, which is home. And a person's uh, home is his wife. Got so it. Bias, home. Are there other instances where a child was adopted that it wasn't described in that way? Right, where it was more explicitly adopted as opposed to this kind of in-between. I'm trying to think of um, other cases where we know that a girl was adopted, like Moshe was adopted. In general, what the Talmud says about adoption is that a person who adopts a child is as if they give birth to them. That's the general teaching in the Talmud. I, I don't remember offhand now another example. I have to think about Okay. Other, yeah, Thank you. Sure. Okay. So let me share with you a couple of things from the Midrash on chapter one, right? Because we, 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 um, we kind of have been doing the introductory Midrashim. Now we're moving on to chapter two. So anyways, some of the, a, a little bit of the Midrash in chapter one, the very first Midrash, that's after the introductory statements of the Midrash, says that Achashverosh is called Achashverosh because in his days, he blackened the faces of the Jewish people like the bottom of a cooking pot. That's a famous description in the Torah, in the Talmud, I should say, in the words of the rabbis, when we want to discuss a person who's kind of either very poor or very down or depressed, it's that their, their face becomes blackened. That's the, you know, the person like loses their shine or their luster. And the bottom of the pot is very, you know, burnt usually. Um, that's uh, for sure was in those days, I guess. And the, the name Achashverosh is a little bit of a play on words from the word shachar, which is darkened or blackened. Shahishchir is the language. That's one um, comment that Medrash says, and I'm going to come back to that. Um, and another is that he gave the Jewish people rosh to drink. Rosh is like gall and wormwood. And apparently gall and wormwood causes um, impotency. And he wanted that the Jewish people should not produce progeny. So somehow, I don't know how, but this Midrash is saying that he caused them to, you know, become, you know, I guess feeling like they didn't want to have children, uh, which we're going to talk about also in a moment. And then the other one is Achash Verosh. He was Ach of Rosh. He was a brother of the head, and the brother of the head is the brother of Nebuchadnezzar. That's what we mentioned before, that he kind of saw eye to eye with Nebuchadnezzar, that they were both very against the temple. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it, and Ahasuerus wished for its construction to stop. So these are different, again, you know, explications of what the word Ahasuerus means, specifically in how it affected the Jewish people at the time. Their faces become blackened, became blackened, um, maybe with fasting is one of the explanations, you know, or the weakened um, is another possibility. But either way, they became depressed and down. The second interpretation, first one is from Rabbi Shulman Karcha, the second one is from Rabbi Levi. He says that he gave uh, the Jewish people gall and wormwood to drink. And that's, you know, basically he wanted to destroy the procreation of the Jewish people. And then the third interpretation is that he was, you know, like kind of a brother of Nebuchadnezzar that was against the construction of the temple. Okay, so 
what I would like to point out is that according to the Midrash, the leader of the time, this is my kind of suggested you know, insight of how to look at this, is that the leader of the time that causes a significant impact on the Jewish people, some of the impact can sometimes be seen in his name. And certainly, I guess, if it's a biblical name, the, the Midrash is saying we can learn from the name of the leader what his impact, what his, in this case, his wickedness towards the Jewish people was. And I think part of what it's saying is that before we get to the actual decree of Haman, which is that all the Jewish people should be destroyed, Ahasuerus is kind of paving the road for that because he had an extremely negative effect on the Jewish people that ultimately led to them being in that very low state of spirituality and optimism, and therefore uh, they were kind of up to receiving such a decree from, you know, Haman's efforts because they were actually sinking very fast, the Jewish people. Let's remember that it was only 70 years since they were, um, even less than 70 years since the actual destruction of the tribes of Yehuda and Binyamin from the land of Israel. So I think that, you know, we have to kind of learn a lesson from here that we have to pay attention. We've mentioned a similar idea in the past. We have to pay attention to what are the effects of the exile today on the Jewish people. And one of them could definitely be seen that many Jewish people are not growing larger Jewish families. In other words, we're, we don't have this, this um, innate um, motivation so often among large swaths of our people to produce a larger Jewish population. And to some extent, that is because the secularism and the effects of the ideology of our time are causing us to not really recognize the importance of being Jewish and the special mission and you know, role that we play in the world. And that, to some extent, is an effect of the government in which we live. I'm not saying specifically the American government. I'm just saying you know, a non-Torah uh, government. And then in addition to that, I think we also have to remember that tragically we fall victim into, you know what, maybe the Jews are not so important or like today, uh, very popular, unfortunately, among Jewish youth is, you know, maybe the state of Israel really is, you know, an apartheid state or, you know, really is an oppressive state and a, a villainous state. You know, we kind of fall into this way of thinking, just like at the time the Jews fell into, oh, yeah, let's go to a party that celebrates the destruction of the temple. You know, it, it, we really can get very far away from the truth of who we are when we are kind of consumed by society around us. Okay. All right, that's one uh, midrash. Let's see, we have a few more minutes. Let me get to one more one second. Um, just for anybody's reference, that was page so, fourteen one in the Midrash. So your your interpretation of the Midrash in regards to modern times is that it was the combination of those three three aspects of Nebuchadnezzar or of uh, Ahasuerus' name <clears throat> that that ties into modern times. Yeah, and and I'm saying that it's really you know we're like we're pinning it on Ahasuerus, and I'm saying. Yeah, we can see in his name, I think, what his rulership was causing among our people at that time. 